Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as a guest, Trisha Nelson. Trisha is the author of Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now, and she's an internationally recognized expert on helping people with addictive personalities to overcome addictions, in particular, emotional eating. She herself has a compelling story of how she overcame both binge drinking and lost over 50 pounds and has now maintained that for uh, her new weight for over 30 years by getting at the core, the root causes of her addictions. And in this episode, you're going to get some compelling takeaways and tools and also some real insights into what is beneath the various things that people in our world become addicted to, again, whether it's food or video games or alcohol or drugs or sexual addictions. At the root of all of these are deep pains. Uh, and Tricia talks about our hurts, the things that scare us, and our anxieties. And you're going to learn how she used really spiritual practices and insights about her inner game to break free and to offer freedom to others. So if whether you know persons who struggle with various addictions or maybe you yourself are struggling with something, this is going to be a powerful episode for you. Welcome, Tricia, to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Looking back, uh, can you talk a little bit with, uh, with those who are listening to your own spiritual journey and what were some kind of key moments that led you to devoting your life to working with people with uh, addictive personality and to especially specialize in this emotional eating? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the food was a central part of my spiritual awakening. <laughs> so, I mean, bottom line is I was an emotional eater probably from the get-go in my life. And um, I hated my weight. I hated, you know, I like to eat, but I didn't like the effects of my eating. So by age 20, I was 50 pounds overweight. And so it was, it really plagued me. Like I, it made me feel bad about myself. I felt less than, um, I was very obsessed with food. Um, I overate. I also overdrank when I drank. Mm -hmm. So I definitely hadn't had, a, 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 an addictive personality. And so, um, so things were kind of messy for me and, I will say that I grew up with a sense of God. Um, I, I grew up in a, um, you know, religion that we went to church and um, I sang in the choir, you know, so I had that kind of formal upbringing for religion. Um, I didn't really care for it cause I didn't like rules, you know? And so, and, and you couldn't clap in church. I grew up in the Northeast and it was very stodgy and you couldn't clap in church. And I, it's, that's just somehow I didn't, I didn't like that. I just, that, that in my, in my deepest being didn't make sense to me. Like if you're joyful, like you should be able to make a joyful noise. Right. So, um, that didn't make sense to me, but, um, but anyway, so I wasn't big on religion, but um, but I was grateful that I grew up with some kind of foundation belief in God and, and it helped me. I mean, I, I, I never really didn't like the idea of God or believing in God, but I also didn't feel very close to God. Um, you know, it, God felt like a man in the sky who was kind of distant, kind of like my dad, like kind of distant, mm -hmm. you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned, but no real personal connection, um, it's kind of a aloof kind of, uh, relationship. So, I mean, I love my dad, but, 
uh, he's passed, but, uh, but I, and I appreciate him, but, you know, he was a, a man who didn't really, you know, this is in the 60s. I was, I was born in the sixties. And, and so he, it was sort of like, he was the breadwinner gone a lot, working hard and, and that kind of thing. So there wasn't a lot of interpersonal connection. And that's how I felt about God too. Like there's not a lot of interpersonal connection going on. However, because I really uh, ran aground with my relationship with food, um, whereas, as I said, 50 pounds overweight and really hopeless, like I didn't know what, you know, what to do. You know, I tried diets and exercise plans, of course, that's what you do first. And then, um, you know, books and tapes. And, and I went to a 12-step program and I uh, went to therapy, I went to an eating disorders therapist. So I was doing lots of things mm -hmm. and nothing really changed. Like I was a yo-yoer. So I'd go, my weight would fluctuate like 30 to 50 pounds. Like I'd be up 30, down 10, up 20, down 30. You know, I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet. Cause I didn't know what size I was going to be at any given time. So it was really, you know, not a fun experience for me, especially when I, nothing worked for me in terms of solutions. So what happened is that I met somebody who had been morbidly obese, who was kind of a spiritual mentor. And this person, uh, I was so grateful that I met this person. And interestingly enough, when I look back, I realized that. So at some point I learned about getting on your knees to pray, like on the mm -hmm. side of your bed. And so I tried that and I had a futon at the time. I was like 21 years old. I had a futon at the time. And so like, I'd hit my knees for like 10 seconds. You know, it was not, this is not a deep conversation I was having by my bed. So like for 10 seconds, then I'd roll into bed and then I get out of, you know, in the morning I get out, but I hit my knees. I like literally hit my knees before I got up. But I'm telling you two weeks after starting that practice of hitting my knees, I met this man who was the one who ended up helping me. And when I looked back, I thought, I bet that's not a coincidence, you know? And so anyway, this man was able to help me because he really showed me that my problem wasn't food, you know, or alcohol, because I certainly overdrank too, um, that it was really a deeper issue. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to show me Really, or he, he, it's, it's really able to make it safe enough for me to look at what those issues were, you know, which I didn't feel safe enough in therapy, you know, not to knock therapy, but I, you know, one hour times up, you know, take your issues and go, you know, it just didn't give me the safety I really was craving. So this man really helped me and showed me not only helped me access some kind of the pain I'd had sexual abuse in my past as a mm -hmm. child, that certainly, you know, put a twist on things and and certainly fueled my overeating and, and padding my body with weight. Um, and so I had that experience and I, um, but it's not, you know, my experience with addictions is never one thing. It's like you have trauma and then you spawn all these dysfunctional ways of coping, you know, that you bring into your life that creates stress that you then stress eat over or stress drink or address smoke over. So um, anyway, but he helped me kind of unravel all this and, and take a look at the pieces. And he also taught me, self-care practices like meditation. I started a meditation practice uh, twice a day for 20 minutes at that time. And I've had that for 32 years now. I'm super wow. grateful. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, praying on my knees, that's been a constant for 32 years and reading spiritual literature, reading out of the Bible, you know, other, you know, kinds of literature, metaphysics, you know, a lot of just different things that really spoke to my heart. 
and help me develop this relationship with God that's different than what I learned in church, you know? So it's definitely been an evolution, but that's, that's kind of what happened for me. It was, I didn't have a white light blow to the head experience. Um, although I did at some point, actually about 15 years in, I did go to a totally different kinds of kind of church where they have you, you know, give your life to Jesus. And I did that too, you know, and that was never really, the Jesus thing was never really prominent in my religion, but when you know, when, when I got hurt and bad enough, 15 years later, it was sort of like, I needed that at that time. And I did that and boy, oh boy, did that change me? You know, that, that really helped me. And it was amazing. And again, only when I look back, I mean, I knew that something changed because my life, and we can talk about that if you want to, but my life, I was in a really tough place at that time. And I didn't have the resources to deal with it. I could tell I was dry. Like I was out of, I was out of juice you know, and I'm like, I, you know, and I wasn't eating and I wasn't doing anything else to medicate. So I had a lot of pain and I was out of juice and I didn't, it's like, I had no power. I didn't know what I was going to do. And by a set of circumstances, I ended up at this Baptist church and they had me, you know, do the come to Jesus thing. And I did it and it worked. Like, I was like, oh, this is what all that fuss is about, <laughs> you know? And so I had an amazing experience then too. So it's, it's all an evolution, you know, and, um, but it's been driven by my addictive habits, you know, and the fact that I, you know, it helped me get loose from those habits. And then my desire to not go back to them has just continued to force me into new ways of solving problems. And, and just talking about addiction, I mean, we we're going to get to the spirituality of all this too. And again, I just appreciate that answer that you gave. That was uh, really vulnerable and also powerful. So thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah, uh, but, but when you talk about an addictive personality, what, what are the signs of that? So if somebody's listening and they're, you know, they're like, what, what would be signs that maybe you need to do a little deeper work on yourself? Uh, like, how yeah. would you know? Well, I mean, it, an addiction of any kind, and it can be process addictions or physical, you know, alcohol, drugs, smoking, whatever, but then masturbation, you know, porn, of course, sex addiction, um, shopping, you know, running up credit card debt. I mean, there's so many things we can do to medit medicate, you know, and they, they all hit the pleasure centers in our brain, you know, and then we create a tolerance for it and we have to have more. So yeah. There are so many different ways to, um, you know, be addicted and I've done a lot of them, you know, I've tried a lot of them, you know, if, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing and why stop at one, you know, so I've done a lot of them, but, um, it's really about running from oneself. And so that's always been what it's about for me is like, I, uh, there was a uh, little story once of there's these two brothers, one brother goes over to the other brother's house and, and the other brother, you know, um, doesn't drink, but, but the brother who is visiting says, do you, can I get a beer? And she's like, sure. You know, and he gets him a beer. He has beer in his house. He gives him a beer and he's like, why do you want a beer? Just out of curiosity he said, so I can feel better. Mm -hmm. And the brother says, what's wrong with the way you feel, you know, and it's such a simple thing, but it's true. Like what, you know, what's going on that I can't be present for. And that's to me really what it's about. But for somebody to answer your question, you know, if somebody's wondering, am I addicted to something? It, it takes over your mind. Like it's, mm -hmm. you think about it way too much. Like it just becomes an obsession. 
um, doing it becomes an obsession or hiding it becomes an obsession or getting rid of the effects of it, you know, like with food, how do I lose weight? How do I control these rolls on my tummy? So they're not noticeable. How do I change the bloat in my face? You know, it's like, it's all, it's all consuming. So it's an all consuming obsession and it changes your behavior. So you're not yourself. You know, when you're under the influence of this thing, you, you, you might act obnoxious, you know, or not present, you know, at least because you're checked out. Um, it affects your, you know, it has consequences, like affects your relationship. If, if your spouse is starting to say, hey, you're overdoing it, you know, or, hey, I don't like you when you do that. You know, it's just, you're not fun to be around. Like, so other people are noticing that's a telltale sign it's affecting your work, you know, abilities or efficacy. So either you're not showing up for work or you're just, even if you're physically there, you're not really there or you're making mistakes or somebody's pointing it out and giving you warnings. You know, these are all consequences to having an addiction. And also, like I mentioned, the tolerance where a little bit was good, but then it's not giving you the same hit. So you have to do more of it and do more of it, you know, in order to get that same pleasure light up in your brain. So, um, and also if you stop it, you have withdrawal symptoms, you know, like you're physically withdrawing from it, like sugar or alcohol, um, or you just, you're so emotionally dependent when you don't have it, you're just, you know, you're, you're not a nice person to be around. You're miserable. You know, you're bitchy and crabby and, you know, like nobody wants to be around you. You're snapping, you're, you know, biting people's heads off because you don't have your anesthetic. Mm -hmm. You don't have the, you know, that, that blanket for your uncomfortable feelings. And it's all just flying up out of you. So. And when, you know, you, you specialize in emotional eating and I, and I should just mention, you have this, your book, heal your hunger, seven simple steps to end emotional eating now. And, and, and one of the issues that I know you, you deal with is differentiating between emotional hunger and then the fact that we all are all hungry. And so if we just take three common addictions and you've mentioned these already. So if we take, um, food, um, sexual addiction, and then let's throw in something with money, uh, whether it's overspending or maybe you're addicted to saving. I mean, you, so, and, and so, you, you know, at some level we all have, we have physical needs, we need to eat, um, we have sexual needs and obviously the money, you know, what you need some money to survive. So how do you differentiate between the emotional piece and the actual hunger itself, which may just simply be part of being human. Is that a fair question? And uh, totally. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, um, it, it's never just physical. Like I think we're yeah, meant yeah. to enjoy things, you yes. know, like I, I enjoy food and I think we're all emotional eaters to some degree where it just feels good to eat, you know, and it, and it, but not just because we're nourishing our bodies, but because like yummy foods are yummy and they make us feel good, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and then a child, you know, breastfeeding, you know, his, his mother's milk. I mean, that's meant to be a bonding experience. So there's definitely emotional, you know, uh, things happening um, for sure when we're feeding ourselves. Um, but I think the thing, certainly that what you're talking about um, in terms of the emotional hunger I do think it's rarely the, you know, if we've had enough to eat, you know, then it's rarely about the food. Mm -hmm. 
um, if we're eating more than our body needs for the day. So if we're overeating or going too far or if we're binging, we're eating in kind of a violent self-abusive way where we feel stuffed and sick and, you know, just want to pass out on the couch, you know, and then we're hating ourselves for what we did going overboard. You know, it, it's not about the food, you know, it's really not about the food. It's, there's more to it than that. It's certainly a habit. You know, if we do that a lot, we're just used to it. We're used to more food. We're used to having foods that light us up, you know, constantly. Um, but it's definitely an emotional hunger. And so much of the time it's for connection, you know, connection, um, spiritual connection for sure, but a connection with other people, with our fellows. And, you know, so many of us are isolated and the pandemic just, you know, drew, you know, really made that worse. Um, we need touch. We need to be touched. We need to be hugged. Um, you know, we need attention. We need to give attention. We need to listen to people, see people, be seen. So, so much of that is missing in our lives and food just seems it's just such an obvious way to try to fill that void, you know, but obviously other addictions as well. So, but just really important for people who are, especially food, you know, they have food issues. So easy to say food and weight issues. It's so easy to say, Oh, I got to get the right diet. Like looking, is it a keto diet? Is it intermittent fasting? Is it vegan? What is it that's going to do it for me? And it's like, none of it because it's not about the food. Like I'm, I'm sure you got to eat healthy, but if you don't satisfy that emotional hunger and get connection, you know, and deal with your stress and all the stuff that's going on between your head, you know, you're going to stay hungry no matter how much you eat. And that's what drives the addiction. So beyond the, the things that you just said, stress, need for connection, um, are there other hidden causes that sit underneath addictions that you haven't mentioned already? Yeah, um, I, I'll tell you about the PEP formula because okay. I think this is a great place for people to start. The PEP is, a, you know, I've researched this for, you know, three decades and PEP is kind of uh, a way to start understanding your habits and where they're coming from. It's, it's sort of a simplified version, but, you know, we, we kind of have a sense of what things do to us when we overdo alcohol or drugs or food but we don't think a whole lot about what it's doing for us. Mm -hmm. And so these addictive habits are serving us. And so in my case, the food was P as an acronym. So the first P is it was a painkiller. So it killed pain, emotional pain. Like it just put a blanket. And that's why I, I rarely craved lettuce. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I craved, you know, popcorn and ice cream and chips and cookies because that's heavy, dense food. And yeah. it would, it really killed the pain. Yeah. It would just, it deaden everything. Just put a blanket over all emotions, feeling no pain in the moment. Right. And so that's the, it, that's a, you know, it, it does it well, you know, and, but any addiction will do that. We do it so that we don't feel, okay. you know, we don't feel painful emotions. Um, the E in PEP stands for escape. And so you know, emotional eaters have a lot of fear. Like we have our, our minds race and we have a lot of off. We do a lot of awfulizing and thinking about worst case scenarios, all anxious thinking and food is just this amazing escape where we're just like, again, we're, we're sort of just taking a time out and it's an unhealthy time out. There are healthier ones, but we are, you know, we're, we're using food to just check out. And that's why the pandemic created so many emotional eaters out of us, you know, out of our culture, because, 
you know, I mean, I had friends who were always like patting me on the head said, saying, that's nice. You're an emotional eating expert. Good for you. But the minute the pandemic had hit, they're like calling me like, Tusha, I can't stop eating. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I think I'm an emotional eater, you know, because we're stuck at home with all this food and this huge panic and, and real stress where all of a sudden our lives are turned turn upside down and you could walk out the door and get sick and die. I mean, that is some serious, you know, stress on the body and the psyche. So people were turning to food. It was there, it was accessible and it worked. So it's a great way to escape. Um, and the last P in PEP stands for punishment. And this is a little bit you know, counterintuitive because we think of food, our favorite foods or goodies or wine or whatever as, as uh, a reward, like, oh, at the end of a hard work week, I'm going to reward myself in this way. But the truth is that if we overdo it on a regular basis, we're really beating up our bodies. You know, we're stressing our bodies, we're abusing our bodies with these substances that have negative side effects and, and make us feel really bad. So it's like, why would I do that? And and I really think it's because I know for emotional eaters, we're, you know, overeaters are over feelers mm -hmm. and we feel guilty really easily. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to, you know, punish ourselves with, with food, you know, and it's a subconscious thing. Nobody's saying, I'm going to go beat myself up. And they're like, no, I'm going to get my favorite chocolate. But, but the truth is that underneath, you know, when we overdo it and we constantly struggle and fight our weight and, you know, do drastic things about, you know, to fix our bodies you know, that's really a form of self-abuse. So we have to dig deeper on that too. So painkiller to recap, the PEP stands for painkiller, escape and punishment. So these are three primary ways that these addictions serve us, you know, or how we use them. Um, but we have to dig into, you know, what's the pain, what's the fear, what's the guilt, you know, and, and, and those drivers have to be looked at. You know that's that's really fascinating. I, I I'd never heard that that, that acronym before. Um, I'm familiar with like um, addiction cycles and like that punishment piece. Seems like uh, I mean, and you named it. You said guilt and shame. So it's like uh, the irony of of addiction is you end up feeling terrible even though you momentarily feel good. And so that's I never thought about it as the person self punishing. So instead of it being the effect, are you suggesting that? at some level, a person wants to feel bad. And so ironically, the very thing that's driving them, and it's not so much an effect of the addiction, it's actually part of it is you want to have a reason to feel bad. Is that what you're totally. actually saying? Wow. Absolutely. It's a subconscious kind of form of self-hatred. Wow. Yeah. I, I, that's really, that's, I think that's, that's really powerful. I, I had never heard that before. And I think, um, I think a lot well, of people I, I listen, made it up. Yeah. That's why <laughs> I, mean, I didn't make it up. No, I, no, no. I researched it, but I, it, I never read it anywhere. That's just from what I, the work I've done that I just see it over and over again. No, I think that's actually really interesting. Cause uh, you know, I talked uh, I, in my own coaching, I run into some folks that struggle with different types of addictions and, and, you know, we talk about the addiction cycle and everybody can say, yeah, I feel really terrible when I'm done, but I, your insight's really powerful because that actually invites not just to recognize you feel bad, but to actually recognize that something inside of you wants to feel bad, which, and, and I guess you're seeing that as a real freedom uh, once you, I mean, you have to do the work to get to there, but that seems like that'd be profoundly freeing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it is, that is the upside of it is that it's not happening to us. Yeah. Like we're yeah. creating it yes. and we do, you know as addicts, we're super sensitive. And so when we do things that are out of alignment with who we are or who we're meant to be, 
we feel bad. And so we are, we have a lot of buried guilt, you know, I mean, I wasn't always a nice person, you know, I mean, I come off real shiny and nice, but I could be a real bitch, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I'd feel it. I'd feel bad about it. I'd try to dance and kind of, you know, weasel my way out of the consequences of it, but I, it wasn't lost on me, you know, so I'd pack that stuff down. Yeah. And I, you know, there, there's a day of reckoning, you know, and so I, I had to address that stuff and I'm, I'm so glad because then I don't have to stuff it down with food anymore. Just, you know, call spade a spade. Like I just like, I've, I've been that way and I don't want to be that way anymore, you know, and by God's loving grace, I don't have to be, but if I'm just sort of running from those truths about myself, I'm going to have to keep running. And that's what drives the addiction. So, so talk a little bit about um, in the healing of uh, whether it's a f- well, food addiction, we'll just use your specialty. So sure. what, what, what's the, what role do you see between, you know, spiritual practices? You mentioned how much meditations helped you and then the healing of addiction. So how, how do, how do those two things relate to each other? Oh my gosh, vital. I teach all my clients to meditate and mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it, it's like, that's a requirement in my programs. And it's so much easier to do when you're in a program where other people are doing it because yeah. everybody knows they should meditate. Like, it's like, you know, we're, we're in the modern century here now. So everybody knows it's not just like a sixties thing or Indian India thing. It's like, everybody knows they should meditate and, and that there's health benefits, but who really does it? Like who takes the time? It just is so impractical you know, when we have a list of things to do and we've got texts coming in and appointments to keep. So my experience is, you know, my clients who want to lose weight and overcome emotional eating, like they're all, I, I call it the six self-care success secrets. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of different self-care secrets, one of which is meditation, another is prayer, you know, and, and another is spiritual reading and so on. So walking, talking, uh, writing. So those are the six self-care success secrets. And but meditation is a cornerstone. And, you know, I was, as I said, taught to meditate very early on in my journey and I'm totally dependent on it. Like I, I can't live without it. I mean, it has changed my life. It's just brought down my stress level, you know, but, but on a daily basis, like it just, and it's really, it's like either meditate or you medicate. I mean, that's the truth. It's, it's one or the other, like people, you know, in the afternoon, when you have that dip, people are either reaching for a cup of coffee or for chocolate, you know, or for a pipe, you know, or meditation. (laughs) And so I have that dip in the afternoon and that's when I do my second meditation. Um, And it does what chocolate or coffee would have done, but without the negative side effects. So I, I, it's a pick me up. I feel better. I feel rested. I'm like ready to go for another six or eight hours. And so it's fantastic. And, but if I don't do it, I'm, my energy's down, you know, my, my willpower is down and I'm just susceptible to just, you know, unconsciously eating for energy. Um, So it's, it's really an intentional way to live and you can't, you got to get, you got to get conscious. You know, if, if you're going to overcome emotional eating, you have to wake up. You have to wake up to your emotions. You have to wake up to the connection between your emotions and what you're reaching for. And you have to, you know, wake up spiritually. Um, You know, you have to be really aware of your body Um, and they all go together. They all go together, but bringing down stress, I'd say is the number one reason for meditation, you know, and if you're stressed out, you're going to stress eat. So you got to find a way to bring down that stress. 
I, lo I loved your answer. I loved your six uh, six practices. Everybody that listens on this is gonna is really gonna enjoy that too. It's like cool. uh, you know my own story, which I don't have to get into here. But it's like uh, I basically um, my basic comeback was uh, was was the centering prayer and um, and intentional journaling. And it's just fun that you had both uh, meditation yeah. and writing on there. And I mean, I did those other things too. But I mean, that's. Uh, so so important and, and and that's a resource that everybody has that they can uh, um yes. yeah so that uh so anywhere you can meditate anywhere that's the cool thing on yeah. a plane on a train on a boat you know in the car anywhere no it's so good so somebody listening um and we have some pastors that are listening on here and and, and you know christians aren't immune from addictions and in fact it's, it's sometimes it's harder because you're embarrassed you think you shouldn't be there especially pastors and we have some pastors that listen to this um so what would be an immediate action step that you would advise a person that's listening today that's saying wow i can see how i medicate with food or something else what what should those persons begin to do even today after they finish listening to our interview yeah, well, I mean, I, I have some resources I'm happy to offer. And I, I appreciate your mentoring my book that's on Amazon for 10 bucks. It's also an audible. It's like a five and a half hour listen on audible. I, I recorded it last summer. Um, I do have a quiz on my website too, I think, which is helpful to people because my experience is it's really emotional eating and food addiction is a spectrum on the low end is emotional eating. We all do it from time to time on the high end is food addiction, like where I was at, where I'd binge and feel terrible, um, gain weight and be down, you know, falling down a rabbit hole. So if somebody takes that free quiz, they'll learn where they are on the spectrum. You know, it's a personalized score that somebody gets, and then they have that opportunity to, you know, know kind of what I'll give next steps for them. Um, but I will say, and that's at healyourhunger.com, my website. Um, but I will say that just noticing, just sort of being more aware. And I think I'm so grateful you had me on the show because I think anybody who listens to this, you can't, you can't unknow this information. Like it's, right. you know, once, once your consciousness changes, you're, you know, you're more aware of course of your habits. And so um, I think it's just really important to know that there's a connection. Like it's not about the food. It's not about any other addiction. It's really about what pain we're in, like why we don't feel good. Like why, you know, what's wrong with how you feel? Well, Something's wrong with how I feel and, and, and what can I do about that? And as I said, support is so important. So not trying to do it alone. There's so much shame around addiction. There's so much, you know, people just want to fix it on their own because they don't want to admit they have it because they think they're the only one or they think they're terrible for having it. And it's just, you know, this human experience is, you know, one where we just, we, we all got something you know, my mentor used to say, all God's children got problems, <laughs> you know, so we just do. And so just knowing that you're not alone, if you're struggling with something, it doesn't make you a bad person at all. Um, you know, but the, the hiding it and, and trying to pretend you don't have it just perpetuates it, you know, like it'll be impossible to stop if you're keeping it to yourself and trying to just, you know, take care of it on your own so that you don't ever have to admit it. Honestly, the admitting of it, is part of the, the humbling that allows God to heal you. You know, it just opens your heart to healing when you reach out to your brother or sister for help, you know? And so it, there's a lot of healing that just comes from giving up, giving up, give, giving up the gig, you know, stopping the merry-go-round and the pretending. So I definitely would recommend, you know, you know, for anybody listening to reach out for help. Um, you know, and, um, just realize that all got, all God's children have problems, you know, and welcome, welcome to the human race. Um, but the good news is there's a way out, 
And it's not by self-control or willpower because that doesn't work. You know, it, it really has to be God's power, but not just you and God on your own. In my experience with addiction, we got to put people in the mix and people who have had the same problem. And that's why Alcoholics Anonymous has been so effective, you know, more effective than anything in overcoming alcoholism, because it's, it's that group, that peer, you know, uh, dynamic that's so powerful. And all my programs are groups as well, because you know, it just brings people out of isolation. And it's like, oh my God, somebody across the world, you know, I do my stuff on Zoom, my group's on Zoom. And it's like, wow, somebody in Australia or some country I can't even pronounce has done the same crazy things I've done, you know? And it's just, it just breaks down that wall of shame and self-judgment. And it just kind of lets us just realize, oh, we're all, you know, we're all dealing with something and this way we can help each other. So I think that's what God means for us to do. I think we're meant to do things in community and in support of each other, you know, and I think that's where God is, you know, wherever two or more are gathered there I am. So. Amen to that. And I noticed uh, one of the last uh, chapters in your book has the title courage. And, you know, and I, I love that word as a virtue. I think it's so important. Uh, if you don't have courage, you can't really have anything else. So again, I didn't get the chance to read that chapter, but what role does courage play in recovery in the way that you use that word? Yeah. What I mean by that is really that every step you take to heal takes courage, you know, mm. stepping out of isolation and admitting you have a problem, probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. You know, bar none, it's just, it's the buildup to that is so hard and there's so much pain. Like we don't do it just because everything's great, you know? <laughs> so it's a hard thing to do, but, um, uh, I'd, I'd say every step of the way meditation takes courage. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have to sit there with your crazy brain. Yes. I mean, that's, that takes a lot of courage. I mean, my mind's never, people always think that you have to be, you know, your, your mind is supposed to be quiet. Like that's what I, everybody like gives up on meditation so quickly or like, Oh, I'm doing it wrong. I'm having thoughts. Like, of course, I know you're, I'm sure you teach on this. It's like, of course you're going to have thoughts. Like that's what our brains do. They think so you know, just letting the thoughts be there and let, you know, just, just settling in and letting just things wash, you know, just letting the thoughts come and go takes courage and not judging yourself and not giving up, you know, sitting down and shutting up is not easy for an addict. <laughs> we rarely do it. <laughs> so it takes a lot of courage um, for sure. And getting up each day and trying something new. You know, I, I literally just got done telling my clients, you know, at first the new life of self-care and abstinence from whatever is it seems so strange and different so foreign and the old life seems familiar but if you persevere you know the new life will become the familiar and the old life will be the foreign you know but you have to push through to get there you know and also another thing i i teach is that we think we we act we don't think our way into right action we act our way into right thinking That's good you know, and so the actions are the self-care secrets, you know, and the community and reaching out for help and the, you know, the humbling effect of, of needing each other. So um, that's what heals us. Now, that, that was so powerful. And just I know that we want to be fair to your for your time. So grateful for the, the time that you've shared. So just a couple real quick questions. Um, you know, outside of, you know, reading the Bible, like what have been two or three books that have really shaped you deeply in your, in your own thinking, whether you want to talk about spiritually or even um, you're, you're thinking about addiction, what have been two or three books you found really helpful? Um, 
Oh my gosh, so many, but I, I, there's one called Around the Year with Emmett Fox and Emmett Fox was a, a minister, you know, mm-hmm. early on in the 1900s. And actually some of the boys from Alcoholics Anonymous in New York used to go listen to his sermons and that like, kind of helped the early shaping of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but that little book, it's just bite-sized pieces each day from his sermons. Mm-hmm. But that really helped me believe in a loving God. You know, it helped me get from the man in the sky to, you know, God being within, you know, that the spirit of God within. And I'm so grateful for that. And just, you know, I was, I used to think I was so bad. You know, there are three things I used to think about myself. I used to think I was stupid. I was bad and I was ugly. And these are fundamental. I know it's like, what, what up? So, <laughs> but I used to, those, that's where I came from, from the trauma and from the, just the mm-hmm. way I grew up, low self-esteem, being a fat girl, you know? And so it's hard to outlive those beliefs about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the grace of God today, here I am, I don't believe any of that anymore. So it's taken time. It's taken right action. Like I'd act my way into not believing those things anymore. But another thing that Um, I was told early on was that I'm God's favorite baby daughter. And I just love that. And I tell everybody that because everybody can say that too about themselves, you know, daughter or son. And I just, I don't think there's a better thing that we can learn in life than that God loves us unconditionally. Amen. Yeah. You know, and so I just feel so grateful. And I just, that book in particular kind of helped me get that like, oh yeah. You know, that's what God, that's all God does all day long is love. Can't do anything else. Just love, you know? So that was powerful. Um, the Bible, I mean, I can't, you know, like, like there's certain things that from the new Testament and from, you know, Matthew that I love to read every day. And the, the, you know, the, the verses on love that I love from Corinthians, you know, and so that's been powerful for me. Um, uh, there's just so many books just on about the, who we are, you know, and, and as amazing beings and, and unlimited, you know, things that we can do in an un, unlimited way. I can't, can't blanking on a third, but okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, those are, those are great resources. And, uh, you know, it just reminded me of the whole thing about God's love. One of my favorite prayers, one of my mentors taught me to pray. And um, I forget the original source, but I heard this from a guy named Maxie Dunham. He always said, pray, uh, Lord, help me believe the truth about myself no matter how wonderful it is or how beautiful it is. And that's one of those um, really powerful yeah. uh, statements yeah. that it gets a review. So just last question. I mean, you mentioned um, uh, your, your, your website, healyourhunger.com. Um, can you say, mm-hmm. are there others that the best place for folks to find you and any other that, places? You'd yeah. Like yes. I have a podcast called the heal your hunger show. Um, which people like, and I, I love doing, and I'm excited to have you on as a guest well, as thank well. You. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a group on Facebook called the secret sauce to end emotional eating. So if somebody's wanting help around the, that, um, that's a great place to go. And then Instagram, I'm Trisha Nelson underscore, uh, for daily posts. Okay. Yeah, this is wonderful. I want to thank you for, uh, for sharing, uh, your specialty with us today. Thank you for, uh, thank again, you. I mean, you're real, I mean, you're real ministry. You're really helping people all over the world. It sounds like through zoom. So thank you for honoring your calling and mm. not only opening yourself up to healing, but then be essentially become a healed helper, which I think is the ultimate uh, witness that we can make. So um, I, great. thank you. Yeah, so I'm great. very blessed. I feel very blessed to be able to do this for well, sure. Well, thank you again so much for being on today.
Yeah, thanks for having me. And friends, thank you for listening to this uh, week's uh, episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm so grateful to have you as a listener. And if you found this episode particularly helpful, would you take a couple minutes and share it with friends through your social media networks? And if you could also please leave a review, especially on iTunes, as that will help other people to find this podcast. I have links to all of the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And I also want to highlight www.centeringprayerbook.com. That will get, is a link to give you some resources and allow you to sign up for updates for the release of my book will be out in September 2021, Centering Prayer, How Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Again, until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others.